Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah, and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam, ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wa ala. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk wa hubba amalin yuqarribuna ila hubbik ya arhamar rahimin. Jazakumullah khair everyone, thank you for joining me for our like 39th session of this book. Uh, it's been quite a journey going through these gems and these different lessons that the author has left for us inshallah. So we're going to continue right where we left off inshallah ta'ala. Um, remember the nature of this book is um, he's a really early writer and the, the style of these early writers is that he didn't have a long prose. He didn't have this like long description of one topic, but rather he shifts from one topic to the next. And I think it's really good for us because some of the same themes keep reoccurring. And when those themes come over and over again, it, it allows us to refresh our memory or connect, reconnect to a theme that maybe we talked about 20 sessions ago. But because he brings that theme up again, it allows us to remind ourselves like, oh yeah, remember that thing we were talking about. So every now and then you'll see we'll be revisiting themes and it's, it's a good reminder. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, remind each other. Be of people that remind each other. Why? Because the reminder is good for the believer. The believer always needs that reminder. And that's one of the things we're going to be really focusing on today, inshallah. So let's begin. The author, he says, Wa'lam ya akhi. He says, and know, oh my brother. And obviously, we got to put the sisters in there too, right? So, Wa'lam ya akhi wa ukhti. He says, and know and understand, oh my brother and sister. Now, one of the things I think is really important that we don't reflect upon enough is understanding the relationship between actions and how those actual actions have a metaphysical effect on our heart. And one of the things that he does really good right now is he's talking about how there's a cause and effect relationship. All of us understand the importance of causation and cause and effect, but we've never really applied that concept to our spiritual lives. Everywhere else in the world, we have this concept of cause and effect, but when it comes to spiritual, it's just like, oh no, I could do whatever and my faith should be wherever. No, that's not how it works. There is equally a cause and effect relationship between actions and your spiritual state where you're at. And so he says this, listen to this, this is pretty deep. And, and this is important, before I go deeper, this is important for understanding like the ideology of our spiritual like well-being. What I mean by that is like, it helps you get a deeper understanding of your own spiritual state and help you take control of your own spiritual maturation or becoming stronger as a believer. Let me say that one more time. As he breaks these things down, it helps you get a deeper understanding for the ideology of how these things affect one another. Okay, so what, Mikael? Why do I need to know how these things affect one Well, it helps you become more in charge or take control of your spiritual growth. Let's, let's take a look. So he says, Wa'lam ya akhi, Know, O my brother or sister, Anna dhunuba yurithul ghafla, that sins can cause or cause ghafla. Ghafla is a word which means Ghafla is a word that means heedless. Um, 
the best way to understand it is this. Some of the, some of the like, earliest memories you probably have of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is when the Prophet وسلم, climbed up on the mountain and he, he yelled out to all the people of Mecca, right? He called them all out. And he's like, Ya Sabaha, Ya Sabaha. Hey, everyone, come around, come around. And all these people come to the bottom of this mountain and they're all looking up at him. And he goes, hey, if I was to tell you there was an army behind this mountain, would you guys listen to me? Would you believe me? Will we get ready for it? And they're like, yeah, of course we would get ready because we know you to be true. We know you've never told a lie. We know you. That to me shows that, explains to us what ghafla means in Arabic. So the prophet came as a reminder to make us aware, to make us conscious and aware of the reality of life. Like before Islam for me, it was like, why am I living? Every day waking up, what is this all about? What am I doing? What's the purpose? Like I was heedless, unaware. The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu coming to us, the Quran coming to us is a dhikr and, and a reminder about our purpose. So the Prophet standing on that mountain, he is symbolically aware of something on the other side of the mountain that these people aren't aware of. Let me say that again. Symbolically, the Prophet Sallallahu at the top of that mountain, he's, a, he's, he, he's, got, he's privy to stuff that they're not privy to because he's at a different position from them. So he's like, look, if I'm aware of something, should I not make you aware of it? And they're like, yeah, please let us know. So that state of being unaware, heedless, just living life while there's an army on the other side of the mountain is called ghafla in Arabic. It's called ghafla. To be in a state where you're just you're just like living life, unaware. And so for us, what does it mean to come out of ghafla? It, the first coming out of ghafla is when you leave the ghafla or the heedlessness of just disbelief in God. Like into the belief of God. That now you're aware there's a creator. There's someone I should worship other than myself and my own needs. So that's the first type of ghafla that all of us, and in this room, we're all Muslim. We've, inshallah, come out of that first level of ghafla. Fahimtum. Wadih, right? But there's another type of ghafla. And this is the type that me and you always fall into. And that's the ghafla where we know Allah exists. We know right from wrong, but desires and circumstances overcome us. And that's the ghafla that comes. So we know, we know, like if, you stop, if someone stopped you, Makare, and was like, yo, do you believe in Allah? You're like, yeah, of course, right? So we're conscious, but we're still sinning. We're still disobeying Allah. We're still following our desires. That is our type of ghafla. You feel me? And so does everyone understand this word ghafla? Because I'm using Arabic terms and my mom's in here, so I want to make sure she understands too. Sorry. So does everyone understand ghafla? Right? Okay, cool. So, what is he saying here? He's saying that the effect of sins is that sins will push you further into ghafla. Now, what does that mean? So he's saying this. This is pretty deep. To be conscious, aware. I was just talking to another scholar about this because I wanted to get someone else's perspective of this. You know why? Because from my understanding, it's when you're heedless that you, that you commit sins. You feel me? Joshua, you feel me? It's like when you're not aware, that's when you fall into a sin. So from my understanding, that ghafla or heedlessness would cause sinning. But the author, he's like, no, your sins cause heedlessness. So I asked another scholar, I was like, yo, what's your take on this? He's like, yo, and this is deep. I think you'll benefit from this. He's like, to be in a state of awareness is a blessing from God. It's a blessing. To be in that state of awareness is a blessing. So when you're obedient to Allah, he blesses you with more awareness. But once you start becoming disobedient, then you find yourself that blessing. He said, it's like rain, no rain coming down. Makari, you get what I'm saying? So it's deep. Now, there's another explanation too. Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, rahimahullah, he says this. He says, nobody, no believer truly enjoys sin except that they have to push themselves into a deeper ghafla. I got, you got to get this. Look, if you're a believer, when you commit that sin, 
there's a little prick. It hurts a bit. It doesn't feel completely good. There's a little prick like, oh, man, you're not getting the full enjoyment of that sin because your iman is checking you like, yo, what's up, Abdullah? <laughs> what's up, bro? I'm here, by the way. And so that iman doesn't let you completely enjoy. So Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, he says, in order to completely enjoy the sin, you have to actually push yourself into a deeper type of heedlessness. Do you feel me? You have to make yourself even more heedless, more unaware. Why? So that you can enjoy that sin. So I think this is, these are two ways to understand that when you disobey Allah, that, that disobedience causes you to enter into a deeper state of heedlessness, a deeper state of unawareness. Unawareness of what? Unawareness of, of what? Tell me one thing, and this is not a rhetorical question, I really want you to answer. Tell me one thing that you could remember or be aware of, cognizant of, that would stop you from sinning. One, one like fact that we know to be true as believers. One, just give me one. Okay, a little deeper. She said someone. How about angels? How about angels? Just, we all believe in angels. And the Quran teaches us that not only do we believe in angels, but every human being has two angels with them. This room is packed right now. Our angels meeting each other like, I ain't seen you since last Wednesday. Yo, what's up? How's your assignment doing, yo? Man, she been tripping this week, yo. Yo, my man, but he's, he's been good, yo. Oh, really? Wow. I'm glad we're here at this halakha right now. <laughs> Maybe this dude gets straight. <laughs> no, so right now we all, we all believe in angels. And we all believe in the Quran, it tells us that we all have angels. Kiram, Katibin. Angels sitting there writing down every word, every glance, every action is being written. It's only when you're ghafil, heedless of that fact, that you slip up into a sin. But the moment you're cognizant of yourself being watched, all of a sudden you act different. You change a little bit. It's just like those cameras they put that don't even work to, at, the, at the stoplight. They ain't even working. But just the fact that there's a camera there, all of a sudden we'd be like, right? The point being is, it takes, so the point being is that you, God giving you that cognizance, which is called dhikr, yaqvan, is called being woke. Seriously, like the Arabic is yaqvan, it means to be awake. And the Prophet literally said, there are some people who are sleeping. Sleep in the way we use sleeping. Like we say, yo, he's sleeping right now. Some people who are sleeping, they only wake up at death. When death comes, they wake up, oh my God. This is what it was all about. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the status. It wasn't about the square footage. It wasn't about this, 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 this. Oh my God. So the point being is when we're in states of obedience, the blessing or the gift that Allah gives us for being in states of obedience is that he blesses us with allowing us to be in the state of Woke, wokeness and the punishment for disobedience is that you get pushed further into this state of ghafla of unawareness and I hate to say it but it even leads to the next thing check this he, first, first relationship of, of causality was what? not rhetorical what was the first relationship we just said? no no the relationship two things what causes what? sins cause heedlessness right? Let's go to the next one. He goes, He says, And heedlessness causes a hardness of the heart. A hardness of the heart. Now, what does a hardness of, a heart, of the heart refer to? Hardness of the heart refers to when you start to sin so much and you become so oblivious to reality that sins, they don't even prick no more. They don't hurt no more. You know how like if you start like, I don't know, doing something where you get calluses and that skin becomes dead and that skin doesn't feel anymore, you can pinch all you want, but it's not going to feel anything. That's callous. That's qaswa. But we care not about the topical. We, t we care about when the heart becomes calloused because our heart is the, the device by which we know God. It's the device by which we connect to Allah. And that's why the Prophet, he used to seek refuge. Oh Allah, protect me from having a hard heart. 
Someone came to the prophet and complained about a hard heart. You know what he told him to do? Go sit with an orphan. Go spend time with an orphan. Spend time with people who are underprivileged. Watch how your heart becomes so soft. And maybe we could say that, he didn't say it, but maybe we can infer that spending your, staying with really, really wealthy, wealthy people may make your heart a little harder. Maybe we can infer that from the opposite intended meaning of that. I don't know. So what's the causality right now, guys? Sins creating what? Heedlessness. Now, heedlessness, what the, re the response of your heedlessness, what does that cause? See, look, we don't like to feel pain. Psychologically, we don't like pain. And physiologically, we don't like pain. So we do whatever we can not to feel pain. And the only way you can stop your heart from feeling pain is for it to get harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And that's why toba is so important. Toba, what does toba mean? Turning back, asking Allah for forgiveness because it keeps that level of sensitivity. And I'm going to share a hadith with you guys that I think you've heard before. The Prophet ﷺ said, anytime one of us commits a sin, what happens to the heart? A dot, a speck comes on the heart, right? As if to say your heart is clean, pure. But the moment you commit that sin, there's one speck that comes. Then what happens next? Well, the prophet said, well, there's, it's, 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 it's up to you, though. What happens next is one of two things. Number one, you ignore the dot. Why? Because you don't want to face it. You don't want to look at it. You don't want to come to terms with it. So you just keep on going. And the next sin causes what? Another dot. Then the next sin causes another dot and another dot. And another dot. And then what did the Prophet ﷺ conclude this hadith by saying? Until your heart becomes just encrusted and covered completely. So you feel no longer anymore. This, from, when you disobey Allah, you don't feel anything anymore. What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is when you commit a sin and you go, Astaghfirullah, what did I just do? Ya Allah. You stop, you're in the car, you're just sitting there and you're like, Ya Allah. And that's the beautiful thing about Islam. Islam is beautiful because there's a direct relationship between you and Allah. There is no one between you and your forgiveness. It's just you bowing your head, turning your heart to Allah sincerely. Ya Allah, clean that sin from me, and that sin is gone. Now here's the problem. What is the unintended or intended consequence of you doing Tawbah? The next time you sin is gonna hurt again. Let me say that again, yo. We run from psychological or physiological pain. We don't like it. So the reason why you don't do toba is because you don't want to feel that prick the next time you do the sin. But the pain is a sign of life. Dead, dead skin doesn't feel. Skin, when it's alive, it feels pain. So the feeling of pain at the time of the sin is a sign that you're doing good. It's a sign that your heart is doing well. So as I said, an unintended consequence, consequence or intended consequence of doing toba is that the sensitivity level, your threshold for sin, will go up or down? Threshold goes down. Yeah, down. Your threshold goes down, meaning less sins hurt more, which is a good thing. You want a, really, you want a good immune system. You want an immune system that responds to the first thing that comes in. It's like, oh my God, what did I just see? Crisis of faith. Let me stop. Stuff it all, stuff it all, stuff it all, stuff it all. You don't want that immune system that is like being bombarded with horrible things. And it's like, I'm good. I'm gravy. It's like, okay. No, that's not where you want to be. So what does he say? What's the relationship? This is great. I'm loving today. I'm feeling you guys' energy today. It's awesome. Okay. The first thing was sins cause what? Heatlessness. Heedlessness caused a hard heart. Now, this is the scariest part. Before I go any further, having a soft heart, a heart that feels... Uh, uh, Abu, Bakr, Abu Bakr, the Prophet Sallallahu best friend, he was described as having a soft heart. When the Prophet Sallallahu was passing away, they said, they said, oh, Abu Bakr, you have to lead Salat. And, and, and the people were like, no, he can't lead. He cries too easy. He cries too easy. So like, I, I think for brothers, it's so nice to hear 
that one of the archetypes of our, our manliness, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, was a man that was described as someone who can cry very easy. His heart was soft, extremely soft heart. But he was tough when he needed to be tough, though. When, when Umar ibn Khattab was in the masjid, and he's like, the Prophet didn't die. If anyone says the Prophet is dead, I'm cutting his head off. Abu Bakr, the crier, came in and was like, bro, sit down. Excuse me, everyone. The Prophet has passed away. Let's get moving. Let's go to the next thing. So this man who apparently showed signs of what we would call today weakness, and I'm saying this because many of our cultures still push this narrative that to cry is a sign of weakness. I was with a brother this weekend in, in, in uh, Baltimore, beautiful brother, and he told me, I'm not going to tell you what cultures he's from. He's from a certain ethnicity that's in this room right now. And he was like, he was like yo, Sheikh, my, my, my grandmother passed away like three months ago, and, and my, da grand, my dad saw me crying, and he, he literally bumped me. He was like, yo, man up, man. Man up. Stop. What are you doing? And he said to me, he's like, I'm still hurting. I'm still hurting. I haven't been allowed to cry yet. And I was like, yo, yo. And he's an intelligent man. I was like, you know, you know that's wrong, right? He's like, I know, bro. I know. He's like, but we need to talk about this more. And that's why I'm talking about it right now. It's so important to see the strong Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, the strong man who took control of a situation when, and I'm saying this with the utmost respect, the one who we thought was stronger was kind of breaking down. Does that make sense? The one who we thought was like, oh, Omar, yo. He was low-key low kind of like breaking down. With all due respect, I'm not trying to disrespect Sahaba. But at that time, the one who was weaker, who understood his emotions, was able to channel and control those emotions. He was able to say, Omar, we got this, yo. Sit down. Let me explain what's going on. And then we move forward. So having a soft heart is a beautiful quality. Having a heart and eyes that cry easy, that's something you want to ask Allah for. Oh Allah, allow me to have a heart that is affected by what I hear. Allow me to be moved by what I see and hear. And allow my eyes to cry when they need to cry, Ya Allah, when you want that from me. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. That's a great blessing from Allah. And it keeps the heart soft. The Prophet Sallallahu in a hadith, he said, one tear, one tear that a person lets, uh, like sheds or like comes out of their eye, one tear extinguishes the fire of hell for that person. One tear for the sake of God. One tear, one moment you were by yourself and a tear just came down. You were listening to something, you were sitting by yourself and you remembered Allah, you remembered his blessings, you remembered your sins, something, and a tear came down, that sin is extinguishing the fire of Jahannam, yo. But we teaching young men to be strong. Be strong, yo, be strong. Hold all that in, uh-uh. That's not the sunnah of Rasul Sallallahu So, sins cause heedlessness, unaware, unaware. And we talked about two levels of heedlessness. One is the heedless of just being a disbeliever. I don't even believe in God or I worship things other than God. That's a level of heedlessness too. Then we moved into the awareness or wokeness of believing in Allah. And not only believing in Allah, believing in one God, one Allah, that's it. No other thing I worship. Then we said, okay, well, we're all believers. What is our level of heedlessness? The heedlessness where we forget that the angels are sitting right there watching us or the heedlessness that we forget that Allah is watching us. These are all levels of heedlessness. That heedlessness, what does it lead to next? It leads to a hard heart. Why is the, hard, the heart hard? It's because we don't like pain. And so every time we sin, we just start to build a callus over the heart so that next time it doesn't hurt. Next time I sin, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. And this is how shaitan takes you from just a handshake to zina. This is how shaitan takes you from just a handshake to fornication. Because each time you did one thing, the heart got harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And finally, you committed a sin that three months ago, you would have, you, you would have considered yourself, oh my God, I, I would never do that. The heart just got harder and harder. So keep a soft heart. Keep a soft heart. Work on keeping your heart as soft as possible. And how do we do that though? I already explained it. Toba. Yes. 
go back to Allah. Oh Allah, I'm sorry for what I've done. Ya Allah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And that will bring back some of that. And then the Prophet said, go touch the head of an orphan. Be with people in need. Spend time with them. That will also bring back that softness. Now, the causality, we're talking about causation, right? What's the next one? He says, and a hard heart puts you away from God. Bu'ad, bu'ad means distance, distance. A hard heart puts you away from God. The, one of the names of Allah, as y'all know, is Rahman. Merciful, kind, which came from the word Raham, which means womb, indicating the mother's love and softness that they have for their child. The closer your heart is, the softer your heart, the closer you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The harder your heart is, the further you are away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what's next? And obviously, وَالْبُعْدْ مِنَ اللَّهِ nar, And distance from God causes what? What's nar mean? So someone said hellfire here, right? Nar in Arabic means fire. But here, I want to give you a different perspective. Is it true that distance from God leads us, to, leads us to hell? Is that true, guys? Non-rhetorical question. Not trick either. Yeah, it can. Distance from Allah. Distance from Allah will lead us down that path away from God towards hellfire. But I think there's another type of fire we don't recognize. Is that the burning of the heart. Like distance from God hurts. It burns. You feel that. Every night you go to sleep. You feel that ache that I'm not close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I know what he's trying to say is that it leads you to hellfire, but I'm trying to make you realize, but there's a deeper, there's another fire that you experience in this world in your heart when you're distant from God. And that's that, that, that feeling inside like, oh, I'm not connected. I'm not connected. And then he goes, he goes, but the only people that will think about what we're talking about right now are people who are alive. What do you mean alive? As far as the dead people, Wait, hold on. Why is he talking about alive and dead people? What's that referring to? Yes. It's talking about the calluses on, on your hand. When I said the cells in your hand, they die. And you have no feeling. When we talk about life as believers, as Muslims, life is not this just, just physical, biological life. You can be biologically alive from an Islamic perspective, but your heart is dead. 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 And that person whose heart is dead is a dangerous person, yo. We've seen in the last weeks what they can do. We've seen what a dead heart can do to innocent, innocent people. Heart is done. Heart is calloused. No feeling whatsoever. Imagine the callousness that has to be there to witness those type of things we can't even imagine. Imagine how much desensitization, how much, how much like, uh, you know in Muay Thai, I don't do it, I'm just, I saw videos, okay? Um, you know in Muay Thai, like these guys got these really strong shins, right? You know what I'm talking about? No? No? Okay. All right, yeah, I'm talking about. So you know how they do that, right? They just keep hitting the same area over and over again. Over and over again, day after day, week after week, week, the shin against the tree, against this thing, against this thing, until the shin, that those, those nerves are dead. Dead. What ha how much repetition of, of, of evil had to happen for a person's heart to become so coarse and, uh, and hard that it could take innocent life and feel nothing but one life, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way up to however many. Now, I, I just think it's important for us to understand what life means in Islam and what death means in Islam. Death is not the death of the, the body, but the real death is the death of the soul because a dead soul causes havoc on this earth. A, de a dead body can't do nothing to us, man. A dead soul? <sighs> Gotta get rid of that cat. Dangerous. And then a soul that's alive, do you know how much joy it can bring? Do you know how much it can help society? Do you know how much it can benefit you? A soul that's alive, that sacrifices its own thing for you? So he says, 
Everything we're saying right now, the only people that really think on these things are people who are alive. And by alive, we're talking about the heart is alive. Now, this is where it gets deep, really deep. He goes, as far as the dead, this is deep. He ex actually explains what caused their hearts to die. He says, these people have killed themselves. Now we know what that means. It means spiritually killed themselves. But what was it? He says, What does dunya mean in Arabic? How do we translate that, guys? Worldly life. It also means like what's right in front of you. So from our perspective, everything we, this life we're living right now is temporal. It's short. It, this is the dunya. It's here right now. We see it right in front of us. Now, the Muslim learns that we live through the dunya. We use the dunya. We enjoy the dunya. But we never love the dunya. Why? Because my love is for Allah. And my love is for the akhirah, the hereafter, what's coming next. And remember what we said last week about two loves competing. What happens? What happens when two loves are competing? One will overcome the other. Whichever you love more overcomes the other. If you love this life more than you love the akhirah, you are not going to give sadaqah. Why would I? If you love this life more than the other, you are not waking up for tahajjud. You need your beauty sleep. <laughs> right? That was a, it was a joke. It was a joke. I was just joking. Okay. If you love this life over the other, you won't sacrifice this stuff for that stuff. So what he says is, the thing that causes the death of your spiritual heart is your infatuation and your love for this life over your love for the akhirah. Over your love for the akhirah. Think over that. I think that's really heavy. And again, we always say it's not about having it. It's about loving it. You don't ever want to love. Our love is for Allah. Our love is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's it. Um, and because of our love of Allah, we love people. We love our family. We love our parents. We love our children. We love the community. But all of that is a, a consequence or a byproduct, we should say, of our love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's all a byproduct of our love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, let's go forward, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions on what we've covered? I hope y'all feeling it. It's beautiful. Okay, next advice that he gives us. He says, wa'lam. No, understand. Come to terms. When he says wa'lam, it means, it means like, let this be a part of your worldview, how you think. He says, wa'lam. Annahu kama la yughni nahar al-a'ma kathalika la yudhi'u binur al-ilmi illa ahl taqwa Remember we said slip consciousness, right? For those who weren't here last week, we came up with a dope term, okay? Um, sorry for that euphemism. Whatever, okay, y'all young people here, mashallah. Okay, um, we came up with a really interesting term. How about that? Interesting term. Slip consciousness. What was slip consciousness? You know, uh, we were talking about when you walk on ice, right? When it's slippery outside, the way you walk, you walk with this kind of awareness of your body weight, right? because you don't want to slip and become another real. You know what I'm saying? So you walk very, very carefully. You walk very, very carefully. Now that whole metaphor of slip consciousness is an exact translation of the word taqwa. What the life of taqwa is, is just every step you're balancing your weight. You care every step you're conscious of it. You're conscious of it. So look what he says. This is really heavy. He says, and the same way that the light of the day cannot benefit the blind person. Similarly, the, night, the light of knowledge cannot benefit except the person of taqwa. What does this mean? Okay, so you're at Qalam right now, right? And so Qalam is all about like education, inspiration. Like look at the, uh, uh, like the thing. What do they call it? Right, the tagline, thank you, right? So part of, big part of Qalam is education. Right? And so you see all these students who are graduating this weekend. Come if you want to come, inshallah. Uh, they're graduating this weekend. They're all learning all year. Right? But one of the things that's so important about Islamic learning is if you don't couple that book knowledge with spiritual like taqwa, 
then all your teachers are like, you're wasting your time. There's no benefit. So he basically says that this, the metaphor is like, it's sunny outside. It's a beautiful day. But the light of the sun doesn't benefit a person who's blind. They can't see. Their eyes are closed. It's only when they open their eyes. Now, to me, this is the most amazing metaphor. Because here's the deal. Imam Ghazali. I'm going to go deep really quick, so stick with me, okay? And just go like this. Like, yeah, flow with me, all right? It gives me energy, right? So listen, this is so cool. So check this. Imam Ghazali says this. Inside of your heart, there's a type of sight. Your heart sees things, right? It recognizes things. But sight needs light. I didn't say it, they said it. Sight needs light. Are you with me? Now, as long, this is heavy. So what's the light for your heart? Revelation of God. The Quran, the way of the Prophet Muhammad That's a light for you to see. But you got to open your eyes up. You got you to you open your heart to see. So there are some people whose hearts are open, but they don't even have the Quran yet. They don't know Allah. They don't have the external light. And there are some people like us, surrounded by light, but guess what? We keep closing our eyes. I don't want to see. I don't want to see. I want to just have fun right now. Just close my eyes. The idea is to be in an environment of life, light, and to open your eyes, to open your heart. So what does he say? He says the same way that light does not benefit a person who shuts their eyes or can't see. Similarly, knowledge, learning, everything we're learning right now will not benefit you if it's not accompanied by taqwa. And what is taqwa? It's this conscient slip consciousness. It's this awareness that what's my next step? Is this the right move? Does this please Allah? Does it not please Allah? And I thought that was beautiful, beautiful advice. He says, similarly, لا تثمر الحكمة لا تثمر الحكمة بقلب محب الدنيا He says, similarly, wisdom will not come out of a heart that is infatuated with the dunya again, this worldly life. It just loves this life. That's all it focuses on. Wisdom, deep wisdom will not come from that heart. A bit more. He says, وَأْلَمْ He says, know and understand that أَتْعَبَ النَّاسِ قُلُوبًا now, this is one of the things, when I converted, I think one of the things that I found most beautiful about the deen was that this perspective was, was an immediate de-stressor de for me. What, what, what do you mean, de-stressor? A lot of the, the, what he says here, I'm going to break it down by what he says, but a lot of the burden that we're carrying on our shoulders right, is because we don't let go and let Allah. And we focus so much on the dunya. So we're carrying all these things, right? We're carrying all these things. Look what he says. nas. What does the word ta'aba mean in Arabic? Ta'aban? Tired. He says, nas quluban. The peoples whose hearts are the most tired heart are who? Aktharuhum shughlan. Those who work the hardest and are most concerned with dunya. What do I mean by this? There's a, there's a relief when you start to focus on your akhirah. It doesn't make you lazy. It doesn't make you not work hard. Quite the contrary. You work hard. But you're not worried about it anymore. Yo, y'all ain't feeling me. You... The Prophet ﷺ used to work hard, hard for what he wanted. But at the end, he would just be like, it's in the hands of Allah. And that one shift is what becomes the most amazing de-stressor for you you can ever imagine. I worked my hardest. And this is, this is where if you actually see someone become more religious and they become lazy, they haven't matured yet. They haven't matured yet. Because the prophet worked hard, like literally worked hard. But he could have just made dua and like Gabriel come down like, I got these fools. Mm. You know what I mean? 
No, but he worked hard. He put all of his effort in as if the only thing that mattered was his effort. But then at the same time, he was able to deal with failure or what seems to be failure. We'll talk about that in a little bit. He was able to deal with his failure because he realized that outcomes were not up to him. And this to me was the most profound message I got. One of the most profound messages that I got from Islam. Work as hard as you want. Be the best. And then when it comes to outcomes, let go completely. I don't even care. Oh, you don't care about your future? Yeah, I care. I tried my hardest. You saw? Oh, why you ain't stressing? Why? I saw it on my hands. It's out of my hands. Oh, I'm supposed to stress that tells you that I care? No, my effort is what tells you how much I care. The outcome I leave to Allah. So what does he say? Jim, yo, Jim, Jim. This is a gym. The person whose heart is the most tired heart. Is the one that works, is most occupied and focused. He uses the word ihtimam. You know what the word in Arabic ihtimam is when you give importance to something. So he's saying just don't give primary importance to the dunya. Give primary importance to your akhirah, your hereafter, your relationship with Allah, and nonetheless try your hardest in this dunya because that's the sunnah of the Prophet. So protect your dunya, but also protect your heart at the same time. How do you do that? By not worrying about the outcome, leaving the outcome up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, if that's not paradigm shifting, what is? If that doesn't sh like change so many of your relationships, so many of your struggles, so many of the things that you are literally sitting in this room right now stressed out about. Just ask yourself, did you try? Just ask yourself. Everyone in this room, we all got issues we're dealing with. Did you try? Yeah, I tried. Okay, I could have did better. Yeah, we could always could have done better, but you tried, right? All right, leave it to Allah. Done. Khalas. Khalas. Let's go forward. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Wa'alam. He says, know and understand. No, no, no. Actually, I skipped one. Sorry. Wa'a'wanul akhlaq ala zuhdi. Qisrul amali. We talked about this many times, but the reminder is so beneficial. Okay. So, in Islam, we believe, all of us in this room, that we can die at any moment. Correct? Okay. We believe that at any moment the angel of death can come and my time expires. Now, if you keep that on the table, don't put it under, keep it right here. Okay? That's right there. That right there is the idea that I could die at any time. How is my relationship with wifey going to be today? How will my relationship be? If that's on the table, how's my relationship going to be with my dad, my mother, my wife, my studies, whatever it may be? You know how it's going to be? I'm going to realize I only have this moment. I'm going to put everything I have into it. I'm not going to say, hey, I'm going to call mom tomorrow. I'm going to call mom now. Why? Because this thing is on the table right here, right? Okay, how am I going to be with my wife? Oh, I'll, I'll talk to her later. I'll talk to her later. No. What's later? Remember, this is on the table, right? What's later? There is no later. So this concept of this thing being on the table... That's called qasrul amal. It means limiting expectations. When I say that, there's an immediately a negative connotation that connects. When I say limit your expectations, you get the mentality like be a bum. No, seriously, I don't mean to be like weird, but when I say limit expectations, you're like, oh, don't aspire. No, I didn't say that. I said, keep on the table this concept that I may leave anytime. When that concept is on the table, now deal with people. Deal with whatever is around you. You'll find that you deal with people on a whole new level. You're present. You're like, really? Tell me more. Wow. You're not like, oh, I got to do this project that's due next week. Why are you still talking to me? Oh, my God. No, because next week, look, this is on the table. This is on the table still. So, qasarul amal in English translates as limit your expectations. And for many of us, we're like, Oh, that's such a buzzkill. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I want to accomplish so much. It's like, no, it just means realize that any moment I can leave. Keep that on the table and interact with everyone around you in that, with that in the back of your mind that at any moment I may have to leave. I guarantee every single relationship of yours will become better. Now, I got something deep for y'all. I did a little, like, case study with my students. All right. 
You guys ready for this though? Like it might change your life though. No, for real, it might change your life. Should we do it? Okay, don't blame me, all right? So here we go. Um, you guys ready? If you knew, my wife ain't even listening to me. Sada, you listening? Okay, all right. If you knew, if you knew, here we go. Don't shake your head, nothing. Keep it inside, okay? If you knew you were going to pass away tomorrow, the angel of death was like, yo, I ain't supposed to do this, but you're going to die tomorrow. Okay? You with me? Would you go to work tomorrow? Don't, don't, don't answer the question. <laughs> now, a lot of people immediate were like, nope, uh-uh. Okay, would you spend time with your mom? Don't answer. Would you spend time with your dad? Yeah. Would you spend time with your children, your wife, da 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 You do that stuff, right? I told my students here in Qalam, shameless plug, okay. I said, if the angel of death came, I'd still go running. I go to the gym sometimes, right? I still go to the gym. Wait, hold up. Why though? Why? Why? Did anyone get it? Why? Would you go to work? Who said yes, they would go to work? Come on, now you can respond. No, come on, who, who really thought yes? Okay, why? Why would you go to work? You ain't gonna get the check. <laughs> you know why? Can I tell you why? Because you were going to work for the sake of Allah. You were doing that job because that's what Allah wants from you. All of us know working a job is part of my fulfilling the right of God. Me going to the gym is a part of me fulfilling the right of Allah with my body. If I knew I was going to die, I'd still do it. Why? Because it's a part of what I was doing for Allah anyway. Y'all ain't feeling me. A lot of y'all's life would change if the angel of death came and told you. Well, that just means you weren't making the right intention in the first place. All you got to do is switch up the attention. I'd still run, I'm telling you. Because why was I doing it in the first place? Why are you doing it in the first place? I'm going to work because Allah and the Prophet taught me I must provide for my family and I will go to Jannah, heaven, for providing for them. If I do nothing else but provide with them halal, guess what? I'm walking through Jannah, inshallah. So if I find out tomorrow I'm passing away, guess what? See you at work. Checking in. How y'all doing? I'm here. Ain't you leaving them out? Yep, so. Do you feel me? Now, all I'm saying is, whatever you're doing, readjust, readjust your intentions. And if you readjust your intentions, you'll find that every day you're living, you're living that day with no regrets. You've done everything in that day that you would have done even if you found out you were leaving the world. That means you'll leave with no regrets. Did I call my dad? Some people told me, some of my students said like, oh, I just go and run to see my dad. I was like, well, why didn't you call him yesterday? Why, why didn't you call him yesterday? Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yes, there are certain things that I might be like, oh my God, I didn't do these things. Well, that's why now what I would say is, okay, what do I need to be doing every day to never feel negligent before God? And put those small things. What if it's, I call my mother every two days. And for most of us, it's every day. But every other day, I call my mother. Every other day, I call my dad. So I'm doing it so consistently. But guess what? If I die on a day that I didn't, I didn't call, I'm good because I just called yesterday. Do you know what I'm, try, you know what I'm trying to say? So the point is just live, shortening expectations means living life, understanding that I can leave any time and that will force you to not live with any regrets because you're not leaving anything undone. I hope that helps us, inshallah ta'ala. Um, when we discussed it in class, it was a really deep moment for a lot of us. Um, and some people didn't come to class the next day. <laughs> Low key, there was one student that literally stopped coming for a minute. I was like, dang, I shouldn't have. It was too deep, too quick, yo. <laughs> too deep, too, too quick. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, just change your intention. Change your intention. If you're hitting the gym every other day, then you must have some intention, right? Now, if your intention is just to flex and show off because it's summer, da-da-da-da-da, 
well, then, yeah, you should stop going to the gym. You're not doing it right in the first place. But if your intention was, and it could be, that I really want to take care of this amana, this trust that God has given me, my body, and I'm going to take care of it. And that's why I went to the gym, right? Uh, or another intention, there's a hadith, the Prophet said, Al-Mu'min Qawi, Khayrim Al-Mu'min Da'if. Allah, yes, and you heard that one? Al-Mu'min Qawi, the strong believer, this is a hadith, yo. The strong believer, Khayrim Al-Mu'min Da'if, is better than the weak believer. And then the Prophet says, but they're both good, they're both okay. Now some say, by the way, strength means iman strength, faith strength. But for some of the brothers, you could use that hadith, you know, in the gym when you're hitting the push-ups. Just remember that hadith, inshallah. Right? And I think there's a support for it. You know why? When the Prophet ﷺ did uh, hajj, he, um, you know when we do hajj, we take the right shoulder out? You guys seen people doing hajj before? And the men take the right shoulder out? Do you know why we do that? Okay, let me tell you, this is really cool. Okay. When the Prophet ﷺ went to Medina, the people of Mecca said, you know those Muslims, they went to Medina and they got weak over there. They soft over, I'm dead, I am not, this is like real, okay? All right. They're like, those, they, the Muslims went to Medina, they got weak. They're soft. So when the Muslims came for Umrah, the Prophet said, hey guys, they think we're weak, take out your right shoulder. And the right side, because they don't see the left, the left is towards the Kaaba. So the right arm is all they're going to see. I'm not joking. So take out the right arm, flex on them while we do tawaf. Students of knowledge, is it true? <laughs> Students of knowledge, yes, it is true. So, so I have a delil for having guns. <laughs> we have a delil for having guns, all right? Allahu Akbar. Anyways, the point I was trying to make is intention, intention, intention. It's all about intention. Physical health, mental health, uh, your economic well-being, that's a part of your religion too. All of those are clearly parts of your religion. And if the angel of death came and said, I got a, I got a note for you, I wasn't supposed to tell you, but you got one week left. My hope is that you don't change nothing because you've already been making the right intentions and you're like, oh really? All right, cool. Come when you want, I'm ready. That's where we want to be, inshallah ta'ala. I think we could say,